0: Hey, this is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: He portrayed one of the most memorable characters on primetime television as Adam Carrington on ABC's hit drama, Dynasty.
2: That was a very uncomfortable time for me. No, it wasn't for me. Oh, wasn't it? No. I walked in there, I didn't have one problem. I knew you were my father. You were the one with the problem. Well, that's very frank. I'll be equally frank, I'm still a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I've um, I've asked you to come here to talk about you, your future... How, if you'd like to join my company, there's room, good room for an uh, enterprising young lawyer. Who'd start at the bottom? Uh, That's the only way to learn the business, any business. And to then work his way up in that business? Yes. What do you think? Well, I have to say thank you, of course. Is that a yes? I'm afraid it's a no. I also have to say that I just got a better offer. You that right. Where? A company you may have heard about. Colby Co.
1: He would eventually go on to leave his mark on daytime television as Mason Capwell on Santa Barbara, as well as Sunset Beach. He even found a way to stop by Genoa City on The Young and the Restless. Hi, friends and listeners. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast with Stephen Brittingham. That just happens to be me, your host. Thank you so much for listening. All of you are appreciated. My special guest today is the man who brought Adam Carrington to life on Dynasty, an actor with incredible screen presence and amazing skills. From theater to television and film, whatever project he was a part of, he made it significantly more appealing and interesting. He even spent some time with the Muppets early on in his career. Gordon Thompson, welcome to the show, sir.
3: Thank you, Stephen. It's very, very nice to be here. I'm so glad you mentioned the Frog Prince. It was one of the, less, one of the sweetest jobs I've ever had in my life. I worked with Jim Henson. I, I, I wanted to play Robin <clears throat> as a frog, but they had one of their wonderfully skilled voice actors to play the part. So I just was Robin Prince, Robin the gray, Brave, before and after he was a frog. And it, it was just heaven on a stick. It was the sweetest set I've ever worked on in Toronto. I was 26 years old. I'm now 73. Um, and when this is broadcast, uh, probably 74. And um, it was just a highlight of my career, actually. That just a few days, all those years ago, I remember it with enormous fondness and great gratitude to work with somebody as gifted, as innovative as Henson was an enormous treat.
1: I can only imagine. Uh, thank you for sharing that, and happy birthday to you in advance. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you are most welcome, and wow, uh, such a fun uh, opportunity for you. Y- you know, Gordon, uh, I almost wanted to break out in song when I introduced you at that moment, because um, <laughs> I can hear it in my head.
3: They call me Sir Robin the Brave, and history one day will rave. I'm valiant and daring, and noble of bearing, courageous and gallant, a mountain of talent. No wonder folks curtsy and wave. I'm Robin, Sir Robin the Brave.
1: Bravo. Excellent.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I have a cold, so it's not too shabby. I how it, to it, it, remember such a silly song? All those years because it was fun to do.
1: Well, it's it, it certainly is fun. I, I think I would have seen that in the shower uh, one of these days, just for just for the heck of it.
3: Also, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. There's an anthem at the end, and, and we're all sitting at the, at the palace balcony, and Princess Malora is waiting to her people, and I'm in love with her, and and Kermit is sitting next to me on the balcony. If everybody. Well, I think it's, it's on YouTube now, I guess. It must be yes, you somewhere. are correct. It's such a lovely thing to watch. If you have kids, especially, it's, it really is enchanting. Well, the lovely thing for me as an actor was, down at my left side, doing Kermit was Henson himself. With his hand in Kermit, doing the Muppet, and I'm I'm st- my friend Kermit, and I'm stroking him. The- I mean, it was it was quite magical, the the, the confluence of his art, television, the strength of the, the 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 Frog Prince story in the first place, and just Trudy Young and I were the only two humans involved in the whole piece as performers. I mean, um, it was just bliss on a stick. It really was.
1: Uh, like you said, a magical moment in time.
3: Yeah, it was. It really
1: was. Wow. Just picturing that in my mind is just uh, that is just a ma- an amazing thought. And and thank you for sharing all of that. That was a, a, so much fun. And, and, you know, Gordon, how about we start at the very beginning? I'm, I'm, of course, I'm very excited to speak with you about your dynasty memories and your performance as Adam Carrington. But I thought we'd start at the very beginning. And for folks right. out there who may not know... Uh, Would you mind letting them know where you are from, and why did you decide to become an actor?
3: Hmm. Well, I'm Canadian. I was born in 1945, and I grew up in Montreal. Um, Excuse me. um, And I went to... I got an old boys' scholarship to the school my father had gone to, and um, I... Because in Montreal at the time, there was almost no English-speaking theater um, and very little English-speaking television. Uh, and my family was not tuned in to going to the theater or whatever. And we didn't own a TV until I think I was nine. Um, my father didn't approve. And any moment long story short, I had no idea what acting could be until I got to McGill University. And I thought... I think I want to try this. Well, I was hooked the minute I auditioned for something, and I got a, a role in it at McGill University. I was hooked. And when I was 19, I went to audition for the Stratford Festival in Canada. And the artistic director at the time, man called Michael Langham, Michael Langham was one of the, most form, one of the foremost directors of classical theater in the English-speaking world. He was God, as far as I was concerned. And I had seen, I think, my first production there two years, a year previously. Um, and I auditioned for him, and I got the job. And I was an apprentice at the Stratford Festival when I was 20. And that was my training. And I got to work with and watch the work habits of, at the time, the best actors in Canada. Um, the qualities shifted before and after, certainly, up and down. But in that year, it was sort of watershed year for me and also for the festival itself. So I got to learn an enormous amount just by watching and by having understudy rehearsals. And we had two. We had, our voice coach was Kristen Linkletter. Kristen has been probably decades now. She is the doyenne of voice coach voice teaching a brand english speaking theater world and she was brand new at the job as was i as an actor she was i think it was one of her early um, voice jobs teaching jobs in sixty five and um, that's how lucky we all were and uh... from it and and was coming home when you know what you have to do to make to spend your life working at
1: if you're very
3: lucky you love what you're doing. I can't imagine spending one's life, the hours you see where you must devote to making a living um, and not loving it. Well, acting, as you know yourself, Stephen, acting is something that chooses you. You don't choose it. If you could choose what you're going to do, you wouldn't choose such a difficult, mercurial, challenging area of employment where unemployment is always at at least 95%, always, and chances of making a living at it are remote. Well, if you love it, you must, you must at least try for at least a decade to see if you'll make any money and make a living. Because you only do it because you love it. Well, at 18, I was very lucky to find out. And at 20, I was very lucky to have that stamp of approval. And since then, um, I really haven't been out of work too much. But I did. Very luckily, I spent, pardon me, the first, I was, when I began Dynasty, I was 37. So I had 16, 17 years in Canada Basically, learning how to do my job by doing my job, and um, so when I got here, I was I wasn't twenty-three, four, which is not a good age to be because you don't want to say no to anything if you are lucky, and if you are because if you want something at that level of success, you can have it. You'll pay for it eventually, but somebody will always provide it for you, whether it's drugs or alcohol or experience whatsoever or sex or whatever it is you're curious about it. Ooh, yeah, that sounds fun. Well, you sort of want to say yes to it. Well, I had never been through that because Canada at the time, and maybe it's still the case, doesn't have that kind of social structure as it does here. There is a star system here. There wasn't then. Uh, there was no, no, no money attached. Um, I didn't make any real money until I got to L.A. to do Dynasty. And uh, even then, it was not the kind of money people are making today. Um, but it was just, I, my point is that, that I had paid uh, whatever wild oats I had to sow, I had done. And that was always informed by the fact that I had to be ready to go to work in the evening So in a theater, um, so I I couldn't, you know, raise hell because you can't. You can't do your job the next day if you've raised hell the previous evening. So I have left a fairly straight-laced life from that point of view. But I repeat, if you want something and you have money and you're young and impressionable, you can have it, but you'll pay for it. And I was spared all that.
1: Well, no wonder you come across as such a a skilled and um, uh, talented uh, actor and performer. Uh, It makes perfect sense listening to uh, that outstanding description. Thank you for sharing all of that. So you made a decision to, to, to be prepared as an actor, especially with your theater background. That had to bring you a lot of discipline as an actor.
3: Yes, it does. And what is, I think I'm very sorry to see that that, kind of early growth for a lot of actors doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I have done weekly rep. You may not know what that is. Weekly rep is a very old-fashioned way of doing things. I think it still happens in England. Uh, I don't think it ever happens on this continent anymore. You, you perform a, a play at night, and you rehearse the play for the next week during the day. So at all times except for the first and last week of a season, you, are, you have got two plays running in your head all the time, learning lines and playing a different play at night. And that is sensational. It's demanding. You have no time to indulge any kind of, you know, search. There's no time. You've got to learn it, do it, learn it, do it, learn it, do it. And that's incredibly valuable to know discipline is everything discipline plus passion plus dedication that's what it's all about i think that is what anybody who does his or her job and loves it that's what it's all about and for an actor absolutely you know that as an actor you know that
1: yes sir and wow that sounds absolutely um fantastic gordon um i mean and, and so challenging and you would be so immersed <laughs> into the process of, of acting. I bet that process helped you to to learn to make quick decisions because you had two going on at the same time that you kind of had yeah. to make some decisions with your performance.
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You also get to work with very practiced, very good actors who are are willing to immerse as much as you are, and if not more, um, and so you learn working with really good people. Nothing, nothing is better than working with really gifted, generous actors. Not all actors are generous. Most of us are. I've worked with one or two SOBs um, who shall remain nameless. Those names, they wouldn't mean anything, actually. They're Canadian and they're dead. Um, but when I would, it just, they're few and far between. They really are. But you learn from them, too. You learn that that is what you do not do. That is how you do not treat a fellow professional. That's what you learn from the assholes.
1: Well, that's right. You learn from everybody. Absolutely, yes, very well said. And, and now, I would also imagine uh, early on in your career, before Dynasty, uh, being able to appear on Ryan's Hope. Once again, that theater training must have come in handy because obviously, daytime has a lot of demands for an actor.
3: It does, and I'm again. I'm very sorry. There's been such a demise. What are there four soaps left on the air now yes. during the day? Because when I was what there were. 16 or 17 I think at one point point. and Ryan's Hope um, again i it was just a freak that I got the job um, Claire Labine and Paul Mayer who invented Ryan's Hope had done some work for a theater director in Toronto named Leon Major and they because Claire had been to Egypt she wanted in, 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 insanely in my opinion she wanted to get Egypt onto her Soap, which was built around an Irish bar in New York City. And it was a wonderful show with a wonderful cast. And she really wanted to get Egypt onto this, which is an insane idea. But they needed somebody to play an Egyptologist. And he had to be a little bit foreign-sounding. And she, she and Paul approached Leon who recommended me, and that's how I got the job. And it was just—I was there for I think 10, 13 weeks. It was just one cycle, and uh, the, show, the the storyline was not appealing. But I had—I was in New York, which was extremely exciting. I was working with this wonderful pace, with this really, really good company of actors, and I was in heaven. I was just, just—I was in heaven. And that led actually directly to something called the ABC talent development program, um and which I was somehow put on to. With 15 years of work behind me, I wasn't a beginner (laughs) by any means. Well, there I was. I think John James also, JJ was on that program as well. But JJ, I think, was 23 or 4 as opposed to 35 or 6, like me. Um, But that led directly to getting the job for Aaron Spelling. Lucky me.
1: Lucky you. And and lucky them, I should also say, in the long run. Thank you. Now I wonder, does ABC even have a television development program anymore? I, I would suspect probably not.
3: I don't know. I doubt it very much. Uh, I think that's another problem. A lot of it, I think, uh, and mustn't get too carried away with this. Um, the rise of social media has been death to so much development in terms of performances. Now. Um, for instance, I, I keep hearing and reading notices from casting agencies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that you can get cast on a show based on your show's social media numbers. Acting has nothing to do with it. And I find that appalling. That just sickens me, frankly. And it, it, what what happened to learning how to do your job what happened to loving your job in the first place doesn't i mean i'm sure it still happens but how does some young person who really wants it and loves it already how does that person learn now you can go to acting school sure but once you get out of acting school there're no soap operas which were a wonderful training ground for actors it really was material often not very good i was lucky on Santa Barbara, I had the best writing I've ever had in front of a camera, bar none. Really wonderful writing. But I had 35 pages a day, five days a week, 50 weeks of the year. They worked Mason's ass off. And I was in my prime. I was ready for it. And I loved it. But only because I'd had the training. But people don't have that opportunity anymore. And I'm very, very sorry about that. I really am. Apprenticeship programs, sensational. The talent development program, but that's not happening anymore. Did you happen to see? I think it was the Globes. Carol Burnett getting her award and yes, how I she did. described. Well, well, how she described her show, that all the years that she did it, and the people she worked with, and her dancers, and the Bob Mackie, and and the extraordinary cast, and herself breathtakingly talented woman with enormous charm. Charms missing so much these days. Well, what she did, what she accomplished, they couldn't do today. Nobody would pay for it. Nobody. Which is very, very distressing.
1: It's very unfortunate. I I completely agree with you. I've often thought of that when I was listening to her speech. I was thinking, you know, why don't we have a show similar to that, where you can yes. have all sorts of actors, guest star, and you can have a lot of fun and and come up with all these skits. And uh, I mean, there's only one Carol Burnett show, but it doesn't mean there can't be a new experience. Um, and it's very unfortunate. And I agree with you that it's unfortunate that social media is, is, is how some uh, actors are viewed. Is, is their popularity on social media instead of uh, instead of how good they are at their craft?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Well, and also um,
3: was, Bandy, what did, I, Joanne Woodward appeared on Carol Burnett. Shona McLean. I mm-hmm. wonderful performers doing yes. re, really unusual, lovely things. I didn't know Joanne Woodward could sing. Yes, she can. You know. Oh, wow. It's, it's yeah. lovely. It's just so nice to see people stretch a bit. It's just lovely.
1: And they have a lot of fun along the way too, don't they? <laughs> they sure do. They sure do. Well, now um I know that when the time came for your audition for Dynasty, that that must have been a a very uh, interesting experience for you. Obviously, it had been on the air for a little while on ABC, and it was building its audience bit by bit. Of course, to remind everybody, Dallas was the big blockbuster over on CBS, and I always viewed Dynasty as ABC's answer to that, um, although it was its own show, of course. Would you mind sharing uh, the audition experience and the early days on Dynasty?
3: If I can, I'm getting old now, Stephen. <laughs> and the memory, no, the memory's just, it isn't what it used to be, but that I do recall pretty well. Um, <clears throat> I remember meeting with the head of casting for ABC, whose name I sadly have forgotten. Very nice man. And I remember uh, going to do my screen test with Joan Collins, and I approached the soundstage on what is now, I think, Oprah Winfrey's building has taken over most of the lot, the Warner Hollywood lot uh, here in town. I'm sorry, sorry to say. Um, Anyway, I... Um, approached the soundstage, and she was doing a movie of the week uh, for Aaron Spelling called The Wild Women of Chastity Gulch, I think. She's playing the madam in a turn-of-the-century brothel, turn-of-the-19th century into the 20th, I mean. And um, she looked absolutely wonderful, um, full makeup, and as Joan Reed, and she emerged from the stage door as I was approaching. Oh, hello, Miss Collins. I'm Gordon Thompson. She said, oh, yes. You had a test for the part of my son. It's ridiculous, darling. You're much too old. Oh my. Yeah. And I. It took me about four years to understand what a profoundly unpleasant thing that was to do. To say. I. Mean, yes, I was too old. But and and in fact, I think I'm only about. Eleven or so years younger than Joan. Joan is 85 now, um, and looking marvelous. Uh, anyway, we oh okay, and with that said, we went into the um, the, the studio and the, onto the set, and uh, I did my screen test, and she realized because Joan is a, a, a well-trained and good actor, as well as being very glamorous. And she realized that I could do the job, that I was good at my job. And I got the job. And um, the first day on the set remains, it was not with Joan, actually. It was with a wonderful character actress called Lorene Tuttle. Uh, Lorene, I think her most noted role, I think, was in Don't Bother to Knock, I think that's the name, Marilyn Monroe was a babysitter.
1: Oh, don't bother to knock with um was Richard Widmark in this?
3: I don't remember, I'm sorry. Hmm,
1: I'll I was have to Monroe look into
3: that. Playing a babysitter. She was not she was, in, she was a psychotic babysitter and she kept try she tries on the lady of the house's wardrobe or evening gowns. Anyway, yes. Lorraine plays the lady of the house and um wonderful actor. Anyway, she played my grandmother on Dynasty, and I remember walking onto the set thinking, and there was Lorene. I thought, my God, they're doing this up Brown, because I knew how good she was. And I thought, they're spoiling the hell out of me. How nice of them. And it remains my favorite scene of the entire seven years I was on the show because of her. And it was such a simple, nicely written scene. And they weren't all, believe me, all that well written. Um, but this one was, and, uh, it was a huge treat to work with her.
1: It was a very touching and moving moment. I remember it very, very well.
0: I'm dying, Michael.
2: You? Well, sure you are. We all are someday, but you, come on. You're going to live to be a good hundred and seven. I'm going to die, Michael.
0: And I have to make peace with myself. And him. I've always loved the good Lord. And I've always loved you. And I've sinned against you
2: both. Oh, I know. By going to church every Sunday, by taking care of me out my folks were killed, oh, you're a real prime sinner, Grant. I sinned.
0: I sinned. When I stole you from that baby carriage in Denver and brought you here to Billings you the Carrington baby
2: Graham please don't upset yourself with this kind of talk and please don't upset me
0: I'm leaving you Michael I am... Right after I go, I want you to go and collect what's yours. Collect your birthright. It's yours again.
1: Um, I liked the whole setup to Adam. It, it brought a certain mysterious element to your character immediately.
3: Oh and, yes, absolutely. Um, I was very lucky again. I think I was the. I think he was far and away the most interesting male character on the show, far more so than um, Pop. John Forsyth was John was determined to make Blake a good man, um, and I think that was a mistake. Um, moguls are usually not that benevolent. Um, but anyway, uh, Adam was fascinating to me, and I think to the viewers, because bad guys are. And uh, it was just lovely for me. And it was, it was also the last time introduced a character really, really well. Other people got thrown into the mix. Um, for instance, I think that Michael Nader is Dex Dexter. Michael, a good actor, effective, but he was just tossed in. I was introduced very well into Dynasty. Yes, so you I, were. I think, I think and... because I suspected Aaron... Um, I think he lost interest after a while because he was the busiest producer uh, in Hollywood, basically. He used to call ABC Aaron's Broadcasting Company. That's how powerful he was. Yeah, exactly. Wow. ABC wasn't too keen on that. Um, but when, because Dynasty was still early days, we were, I was lucky to get on on the sort of, the, not the ground floor, but as the elevator was really rising quickly, uh, Joan's introduction, I think, is what kicked it into, we want to watch this gear. Um, and I was lucky to be on her coattails, basically.
0: What do you think of it?
2: Mother, it is sumptuous. Just a little bigger than my room in Montana. By about a thousand square feet. <laughs>
0: Well, of course, there's room service here. In fact, anything you want, whenever you want. But first, I I want you to have that. Go on, open it. It's a welcome home gift, darling. I planned on giving them to you when you were a baby, and I thought it would be a really good way to celebrate your new life here. Our new life
1: together. Very when Joan arrived, it, it brought a whole new level to the show. But then you fast forward when you arrive, it also brought a new level. Because I remember right before your character arrived... It, it, the show is is doing great, right? The lots of interesting characters and storylines, but it felt like it just needed a little touch of something. And that turned out to be you <laughs> because once you arrived, I thought you really shook up the entire show.
3: Oh, I think so too. I think that when Jones arrival, there, there were, uh, I had watched the show, not as much as I probably should have, but I, I didn't have time. I was busy. Um, but Joan, huge glamour, and Joan has always, had always wanted to be a star, and she never quite got there in terms of movies. She was sort of a B movie star, and she wanted to be a big, and with Dynasty, she knew what she was doing, talented, experienced, stunningly beautiful, given this Sensational role, and Joan just took it and chewed it to death. And she was so good; she was wonderful, and it made her what she the star she'd always wanted to be. It wasn't movies; it was TV. Oh, gee, she was the biggest female star in the world for quite a long time, and she's still, still marching, which blows
1: me away. She sure is, and like you said, looking fabulous too. I, I yep. I've seen some pictures of her recently, and it, it seems like she has that energy still. That she's oh, she does. <laughs> yes, That's her
3: secret is energy.
1: Now, I would love to ask you, going back to your early scenes, and thank you for sharing such a lovely story of of that actress. The gentleman that Reed, portrayed yes. the doctor. In the storyline, he had a great voice, first of all. And you two just worked really well together. I think he really brought uh, a lot to the arrival of your character. And he even showed up later into the uh, office where your character was. And that's when he mentioned about your background with, you know, psychotic issues and, and other things. But I just was wondering what it was like to work with the gentleman. I believe his name was uh, Robert Simmons.
3: That was his name, yes. I don't remember. Now, you see, this is <clears throat> memories, memories just giving way to me, right, sure. on me right now. I don't recall.
2: You remember.
3: People who watch the show have a far, far clearer memory of, of it than I do, Um Because it was this is a long time ago, Stephen. I'm sorry, you were you were were in your early teens. For God's sake, I was in my late (laughs) late thirties out to my (laughs) mid forties. I remember when I was turning forty. Joan said to me, "Somebody said happy birthday, Gordon." I said, "Oh, darling," she said, "Is it the big one?" Meaning, is it forty? I said, "No, John, it's not. You nitwit." Uh, Because she's (laughs) very age conscious.
1: I see. Well, speaking of age, Gordon, it is true. I, I never would have thought that was your age when you first took the part. That's very interesting. I, I would have assumed you were much younger. Um, well,
3: luckily, they were very specific. Um, Joan at the time wasn't, hadn't quite got the clout. She might have insisted on casting somebody much younger chronologically younger, but I was very lucky. DNA and I were a decent match. They were very specific. In the script, when my character first appears, they said he was blah, blah, blah of 24. And I looked. I was 37. I looked 24 on camera in close-up, and that's just DNA. That's all that is. And um, Joan has the same thing. DNA. She looks after herself, certainly, but I would be very surprised if there's been much tampering with that face.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, John Forsyth, what a distinguished look. I, I just loved watching him perform. And oh, yeah. I have to tell you, Gordon, the more I think about it, looking back after all of these years, is he just gave this incredible performance. Um uh, Remember how he could be gentle and caring in one scene and then turn around and be, frankly, ruthless at times, and sometimes all in the same scene. Oh, yes,
3: absolutely. Again, John, very skillful. He's also a wonderful leader of the set. I, In my opinion, most sets, there is a specific leader. Uh, usually, it's a lead actor. Um and John and Aaron Spelling were very close friends. They grew up, Aaron was an actor to begin with, and John has history with Aaron, and um, it showed. And John, the few times I've been in that position on a set, um, John has been a very, very good example. Uh, he was, again, very talented, disciplined, wonderful discipline. Um, never late, always knew what he was doing, and, again, the, the part, I don't think he was ever ruthless enough, or he stopped being ruthless enough, in my opinion. Um, I think that's that's a shame, um, because, a, a small example, when um, Ali McGraw and Rock Hudson were brought in, Rock was going to be um, Linda uh, Crystal's um would-be lover, and Allie was going to be Blake's would-be lover. Um, That never happened. Uh, John refused to tamper with um, what he thought as being the great love story of the show, which was the love story that Blake and Crystal had. And so when Allie arrived, and I don't think this is Tales Out of School, um, John sent her a big bunch of flowers to her dressing room, and basically said this is never going to happen. So what she was hired to do, to be a distraction, a love interest distraction for Blake, she was never allowed to fulfill. Ditto with Rock and Linda. Never allowed to fulfill it. I see. Yeah, because John just, I think he had a big tondress for Linda herself, as indeed who wouldn't. Um, she She was like the sun coming up. I've, rarely met anybody as gloriously gorgeous inside and out as Linda. She's just bliss on a stick. And she was the sort of angel creature and, again, superbly well cast, as was Joan. She's totally professional, in my opinion. Nice. And they all, the three of them, rubbed each other the wrong way, with especially Joan and John. Um, and it was just... it. It never went, ever went too far. It never became unprofessional. But it just edged its way around the set and the, onto the screen. And it worked a charm, in my opinion. So that, what John wanted to, to, to preserve was preserved almost in spite of himself, which is nice.
1: And, you know, Ali McGraw um, had appeared on ABC's epic miniseries, The Winds of War. At that time.
3: Well, Allie had a great career. She was yes. a movie star.
1: That was quite a big guest star appearance for the show. And um, Well, thank you hearing for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, Gordon, you would be the perfect person to ask. I'm sure you witnessed this. But the impressive thing about John and Joan was when they're... Characters were, were butting heads and, and really angry. And I'm talking about when they got really angry. Those moments were very edgy. I even remember a couple scenes where John, you know, grabbed Joan and was almost going to shake her. And, you know, it's the kind of thing you wouldn't really see as much these days. But for some reason, they just made it work.
3: They did. Again, you've got two very skillful, extremely visibly attractive, talented people who got the jobs of a lifetime for both of them. I mean Blake and Alexis were two sensational parts and they were just hammer and nails when they when they were able to let go a bit. And um, they I suspect it was also I'm not a method actor. I question that whole school of approach to acting, Um, but a little bit sometimes sneaks in, and I have a sneaking suspicion, I wasn't there for the scenes that you're talking about, Um, and if I was, I don't remember, Uh, (laughs) but I have a sneaking suspicion, a little bit of method might have crept into that.
1: I see. A little bit of um...
3: heartfelt anger might have crept in.
1: I see. Well, I'll tell you, it could get very intense. Um, I just oh, really yeah. enjoyed—they're they're just such pros—and you've described why they are pros so well. Thank you for that. And another gentleman, I enjoyed his character very much. I often describe him as the Bobby Ewing of Dynasty, in the sense that he was really the good guy uh, uh, for the most part, and that would be John James as Jeff yes. Colby. Uh, and I remember, the, uh, you know, quickly. Your character and his character, well, they became enemies. But one of the first storylines where Adam really was uh, uh, doing something of, of extreme... Um, questionable behavior was the, the whole p- paint scenario. And that's where it was very clear that, <laughs> wow, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll tell you what, this is amazing here, uh, with, with this paint in the office and how it changed, uh, Jeff Colby's, uh, personality for, for the worse, I might add. And, um, all the while Adam is sitting back. Is
2: this it? The compound you're looking for? Yes, it is. That's the best stuff I know to protect the hell of a boat. I hope you understand it could be dangerous. Inhaled or absorbed into the body, it can distort a person mentally. Know what I mean? Yes, I do. It hits the central nervous system. Mess up your head. Enough of this stuff can kill you. I know. Why right, you be careful. Um, Mix it in with the paint and I'll free those fumes, right? Right. Uh, thank you for reminding me. And listen, keep telling all your other customers—you never know whose life you might be saving. But
1: that—that that was quite a storyline, wasn't it?
3: It was also apparently—I didn't know this. Somebody told me at the time. It was based on a true story. Um, I oh, diplomatically, wow. yeah. I don't. Uh, you'd have to maybe have a have a sort of research thingamajig in there. I, don't, I was told this was based on something that was, actually happened. And it doesn't surprise mm. me, because it's very subtle, but lead paint can kill you. Um, and somebody tried to do it. And the whoever invented the storyline for Dynasty, um, good for them. Good for them. It was, I, it was very interesting. To, he was such an immoral shit in so many ways. That He was sexy and all that stuff, and he was passionate about an awful lot of things. One of my favorite things to remember um, was when he arrived at, in, in, in Denver, that um, he and Fallon, not knowing that they were related, sort of... They got each other very sexy. They flirted a lot. There was something going on there. And whoops, we can't, because you're my brother and you're my sister. Okay. That, kind of little, that little kind of warped sensibilities, I really enjoyed playing, I have to say.
1: Uh, those were really good scenes, Gordon. I, I, I yeah, mean, they were. I, I it really...
3: He was a very good actor.
1: Yes, Um I really enjoyed her performance and um and and she could catch you off guard because some when whenever she would show her vulnerable side it would just come out in, in such a, a, a you know impressive manner but mm-hmm. I remember your tender side with your many of, her, of your scenes with her it was very um enjoyable to watch Fallon
2: Hello Fallon Hi Michael You're going to have to get used to it you know It is Adam for you. Let called me. Hey, what are you so riled up about? Another couple of hours last night, I could have ended up in bed with my sister. In some parts of the world, they kill people for that look. Let's get one thing straight. We were both caught in a situation we didn't know anything about. Neither one of us knew who the other was.
0: I'm not so sure about that. How do I know that all the time the would-be Adam Carrington was here, he never even heard my name? I didn't. You got to my father. You got to my mother. But somehow, just somehow, you never even tried to get to me. Except
2: for... Except what? Physically? Oh, come on, Fallon. You can't believe that I knew who you were and still made a play for you?
0: That's right. Because I can't believe any of this. I mean, it's all academic, really, anyway, isn't it? Because you're not my brother. You just claim to be my brother.
2: I really am. Madam Carrington. Now, be honest and admit to yourself, you don't want to know the truth about me because you have certain feelings for me. Feelings you don't understand.
0: Feelings for you? What the hell are you talking about? What makes you think you were anything more than a diversion for me? Do you really think I would have gone to bed with you? Yes, I do. Look, as far as I'm concerned, I only have one brother and his name is Stephen. And I love him because he's straightforward and honest. He doesn't go around doing numbers on people. He's good and he's decent.
2: Stephen. I heard about Stephen.
3: Thank you. Again, she she personifies to me what really interesting actors... Have to offer. Pamela Sue. I don't think she acts anymore. She directs, um, but she looks almost the same, just an older version of of the same thing. Uh, but she has a quality which was absolutely ineffable. You and she. They should never have tried to replace her, in my opinion. Emma, a good actor, and effective, but Emma didn't have. Whatever made Pamela Sue riveting, as Fallon, as anything she did, Emma didn't have that edge, and that's just a fact of acting life. Actors are each of each of us individuals. Actors are not actors. All of us have flavors, have attitudes, have things that make us the unique individual that we are, and actors have it. If they're lucky in spades, I think of Pamela Sue is a very good example. Um, who else? Jeez. that that'll do it again for the for the dynasty bunch. Pamela Bellwood, same one. Pamela again, extremely good with a quality that I cannot imagine anybody playing Claudia Blaisdell the way she did. And if they, you, you don't don't recast. Kill the part off and get someone else in with a different name. Don't replace the character, in my opinion.
1: So this came as a surprise to you and other cast members when there was not, a switch?
3: No, not a surprise. No, because she, she'd had the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, uh, and she'd had films. She'd had a wonderful career. She was a very busy woman and a good actor, and she'd had, she'd had enough, I think. She just wanted out. And so, Aaron sort of hunted around and found Emma, who was a big name in in, uh, from GH and um, General Hospital, and uh, cast her. And it worked to a degree, but again, Emma just didn't. Sorry, Pamela Sue didn't want to do it anymore. That's all. She had enough.
1: She was ready to move on and try new experiences. Well, she certainly left her mark, as you did as well. I I have not heard you uh, discuss before, or at least I've just never come across it, so I'm very curious to ask you. You worked with uh, another uh, beautiful lady early on, and that would be Kathleen Beller, and I was just wondering, when you uh, look back, what that experience was like for you. (laughs) Kathleen,
3: (coughs) sorry, Um, Kirby was the butler's daughter kathleen had about a yard of intensely thick black hair and i raped her adam raped kirby and uh... it was a violent scene and i had to be i was really worried i didn't want to hurt her and she said go ahead just you know do what you need to do very brave and very generous of her and so i did and she got home that night, and she, her husband went to kiss her. Oh, she said, no, that hurts. I really had done a little damage, I think. Her her scalp was, I think, a bit sore or something. I did, that was a very tough thing to play. I've done that, that sort of scene once before in my life in a movie called Explosion. I was 24 years old, and I had to rape this young woman and again it's very, very hard to do. I think rape is the ugliest crime in existence because the victim survives and has to live with this appalling um assault uh the rest of her life. And it's worse than murder, uh, in my opinion. Um so it was hard to do. Uh but Kathleen was bliss on a stick, gorgeous had been around a lot now very happily married to a, i think his name is Dolby and we saw each other at an autograph show about 2 years ago 3 years ago sorry and um she said the nicest thing to me she said and, and she would tell people who came to get autographs he was the best kisser i thought how nice <laughs> i was the best kisser it's it a very nice compliment nice to hear. Huge compliment! Huge
1: compliment! <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And and then going back to um, uh, John James, you know, we discussed yes. his character a little bit. Uh, what was it like uh, working with him over the years?
3: Um, oh, okay a treat. JJ again, good at his job and loves to do it. But uh, he was in the unfortunate position of playing the prince, basically, and I was playing the shit. Um, and I remember, quite recently, I guess, in the last few years, anyway, um, wondering if he would like to have played Adam. And mm-hmm. I have a sneaking suspicion that he would have. Any of us would, if we didn't have a job, sure, <laughs> because yes. the Prince is a, is by definition a good guy, and you know the Mountie and the the good guy and good guys are incredibly worthwhile and a little bit of a snore. And J.J. was one of the best-looking men on television, and that helped a lot. In fact, they gave him... He was the the, the reason why there was a spinoff from Dynasty called The Colbys, and J.J. was the lead character spinoff, which was a huge compliment. It was also an indication of how popular he was. Um, But as an actor... Uh, I bet he got frustrated a lot. I bet he did. Also, about the the fights that we had, um, this is a yes. story about Charlton Heston. Um, I confess um, he's dead now, but I was never a fan. And um, at one point, um, the schedule uh, had J.J. and I having a fight in his office set on the Colby's, and Heston, whom I'm afraid I wound up calling Chuckles, um, his name was Chuck, well, Chuckles, was behind the this, this set, I guess, waiting to go on to rehearse his scene. And I came off, and he, said, yes, and he said yes to me. He said yes to me. When in doubt, we all shout, don't we? And I thought, you pompous fool. How dare you, said. Read the script. I couldn't bear. I, th- I thought you were. I thought it was a twit. Just stupid and pompous and wrong. When in doubt we all shout, asshole, made me nuts. May, may not. May. Have you, have you got that impression, Stephen? I'm a little I, pissed off. Still. I, I can chance. tell, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> <You> know, 30 <laughs> years later.
1: <laughs> well, say, some things just stay with us, you know? So, Sadly, um,
3: they do. And they're not always the nicest things,
1: you know. Well, I, I could understand your viewpoint there, sure. Absolutely. Oh, yes, yes. Now, did all of you think that the Colby's, uh, the spinoff, was a good idea?
3: I don't know. I, I, I suspect not. I think I that hmm, it, was a good, it gave more people more work, which is nice. It mm-hmm. also gave me the huge pleasure of meeting Barbara Stanwyck, who was, along with Irene Dunn, one of the greatest actresses the movies have ever seen, in my opinion, uh, and such a pro, and to the day she died, just extraordinary. Um, But I think energy is something, energy and singularity, when they go hand in hand, as they did, I think, with Dynasty. Um, We were very glamorous. Everybody was screwed up. Everybody was rich. Everybody was gorgeous. And it was riveting. It was fun. It was a holiday, an hour a week. We provided a really rich, luxurious holiday. That was our job. And to spin that off, I think it was maybe a not such a hot idea. It diffuses energy, I think, a lot. Um, that's the answer. The c- only thing I can tell you, really, mm. I have a feeling it probably wasn't such a good idea.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and, you know, at that time, Gordon... You know, it was a different time. So if you missed an episode, you had to wait a while, and yeah. uh, you didn't want to miss an episode if you were a, a fan or a viewer of Dynasty, and, you know, thankfully, VCRs came along. But, um, boy, you did not want to miss an episode, and guess what else the viewers didn't want to miss, Gordon? And you know what this is, and that would be the cliffhangers, which Dynasty had its share of big-time cliffhangers, just like Dallas yes, uh, did. did. And there did. was a couple I wanted to ask you about. Um, and one would be uh, the Wedding Massacre. This, In yes. that season, the ratings had skyrocketed for Dynasty, and, and, and it was a very exciting conclusion. I remember, Gordon, that my jaw was actually almost on the floor. I couldn't believe what I just saw. <laughs> I mean, I can, still rem- I can still remember it like yesterday. Like, I-, I can't believe this. I've never seen anything like this. And um, what were your feelings when the next season arrived? And I believe only two characters had perished. If I remember right, it was uh, Stephen's boyfriend at the time. And, and I believe it was actually Ali McGraw's character.
3: That's correct. And um, the, the, the the massacre at the wedding was, I think that was the year that we finished number one in the country in terms of, you know, ratings. We had huge ratings. Don't forget, this was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Fox hadn't arrived. Cable didn't. Who knew? So it was just three networks, basically. But even so, almost half the country was watching Dynasty, which is astounding. But that cliffhanger was probably the best one they ever put together. And I I wasn't, I was there, I know that. But JJ told me this, but at one point he and Allie I think, were shot together. Anyway, they were together on on the floor of the set set, while the scene was being shot. And somebody came around with a little red dot thing and put it on Allie's forehead. And she thought, he yes, asked, what does that mean? And I don't remember what his, but that's, they would come around. And she was let go, and Bill Campbell was let go as Stephen's boyfriend, uh, because I'm not sure why they were both let go. Probably because Allie wasn't doing, because John didn't want to do it, wasn't playing the part that she was hired to play, which was a huge shame because she had lovely quality. She was a treat, again, to be around.
1: I always enjoyed watching her.
3: Oh, she was lovely. And Bill Campbell, again, wonderful actor. I'm not quite sure he was let go, probably because he didn't want to pursue the gay storyline with Stephen, because AIDS had reared its nasty head and was sort of cutting a huge swath through society, and uh, people were sort of very, very uneasy about it. And uh, that that's my supposition. I may be wrong.
1: That makes perfect sense to me. It was still very exciting, of course, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that cliffhanger. It uh, d- d- definitely kept mistake, you
3: waiting. May I, sorry, may I just continue? Just, the big mistake, one of the biggest they made, was sure. the next season's opening episode. We all walked out of there like Noah's Ark, two by two. They didn't put any of us in jeopardy, which was an enormous mistake. They should have had, I don't know, Alexis could have been almost fatally wounded, would have been wonderful. Yes. Oh, I could have yes. been some two or three major cast characters should have been put in real jeopardy, and they didn't do that, which was a huge cheat after that extraordinary, as you say, f- jaw-dropping finale. And all of a sudden, we walk out of there in full makeup and hair, hardly any clothes are torn. It was silly. It was just thoughtless, thoughtless plotting, in my opinion.
1: I, I like your, you know, idea that there should have been some more char- characters in, in peril afterwards. That would have brought oh, a yes, lot of absolutely. drama. Yeah. Yes and uh, i can still remember like you said you just brought that back to me gordon with the it, the characters arriving two at a time and i remember going oh they survived okay now now who else survived and they <laughs> they just kept coming and um uh so so yeah that was a definitely a memorable cliffhanger despite how it would uh start up the following season and, and remember people had to wait months for this so yes, um you're they were, right they were probably,
3: not tre- they were not well treated by the writers, in my opinion.
1: Now, what are your thoughts about the alien storyline involving Fallon?
3: The worst, the very worst, the worst. And I'll tell you a story about that, too. Sure. Um, Sorry.
1: Oh, Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: I I, I knew somebody, a brilliant woman, who was in on production meetings. And uh, this storyline, Esther arrived at your Shapiro at the writers' meeting. And the first thing out of her mouth was, the first person who laughs at this is fired. But Richard has had a brainwave. Aliens. The stupidest idea anybody ever had. And the world knew it. The stupid thing, the awful thing was... Because people don't think about the writing when they're watching a show. They think basically this is happening. And so Emma, Sam, playing Fallon, had to bear the brunt of the idiocy of this stupid, stupid storyline. It was asinine. as much to do with dynasty as Egypt had to do with Ryan's Hope. A stupid storyline. I'm grateful because I love working in New York, but I knew it had no place. Ryan's Hope was at an Irish bar. And every successful show, in my opinion, has a core. And the core of Dynasty had nothing to do with aliens. It had to do with families, rival families, and internecine warfare. That was it. It had nothing with an asinine idea, and somebody should have risked his or her job, and laughed because it was stupid. Somebody should have stepped in. I don't know where Aaron was in those days, but someone like him should have stepped in and said, no, 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 this is a stupid idea because it was blatantly stupid.
1: And I don't think the media was very kind about it either. They shouldn't I have been. Remember, they correctly. shouldn't have been.
3: I mean, we were we were a very... Flossy, glossy, whatever you want to say. It had weight to it. I remember when uh, Kate O'Mara, um, who played, oh God, Cassie, I think, Um, Alexa's sister, I believe. Beautiful woman. Yes, Kate died about two years ago, and Mm -hmm. she was quoted as saying in England about working on Dynasty. Well, they take it all so seriously, dear. Well, yes, we do, sweetheart. And if we didn't take it seriously, it wouldn't have lasted nine years. So put that in your silly British pipe. And it was, you know, it was was taken seriously, and that gave it legs. And so what people saw wasn't pure froth, it was people living their lives as honestly as they were allowed to, given the, you know, limitations of time and writing. Um, So that's. One reason why I, I bring her up, um, because we had to take it seriously.
1: Absolutely. That's, and that's why the results were uh, as good as they were. Was, they were was interesting. That, uh, dedication.
3: It, it, people used it with water coolers, water cooler chats.
1: You mm-hmm.
3: know, dynasty parties, apparently, that was extraordinary. People would come dressed as their favorite character.
1: Well, and I remember telling you uh, off the air before we began the interview, uh, there was always a 50% chance your character would be in a good fist fight. And I, 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 I always looked forward to seeing Adam in those situations. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was always a You're chance You're not a it could well happen. man,
3: Stephen. You just are
1: okay. What's that?
3: You're not a well man. You are. <laughs> That's okay.
1: Perhaps I'm not. <laughs>
2: Adam! Jeff, be careful! Adam! Room. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Miss Ruth! What the
3: hell? Miss Get your hands out Luke. me! What was those lines about? I don't know what you're talking about, no, you don't! Get off! <laughs> you're trying to make us look as dirty as you are! <laughs> <laughs> nothing between Monica and me! You've been all over her!
1: Even in public! <clears throat> Come back here! Oh.
3: She's my sister! That makes you a pervert! The hell ever done to you? That's what she's done to you that's so disgusting! Disgusting! You're sly, Adam! Yeah. What's the matter with you? Get up. I'll bring your Weasley neck! What is coming on
0: me.
1: Well, I have to tell you what, Gordon. You know, um, the final season, here here it is winding down. Uh, Mm -hmm. A couple questions about that, but one, did you guys know that the show was going to be canceled? It seemed like there was this chance it may not, uh, but I'm not certain about that.
3: Interesting question. I wish I had a proper answer. I have a supposition. I do know that during the last few months of of the last the season of shooting, um, Aaron was walking across the set with me for some, I've forgotten why, and he said, well, we're not dead yet. Uh, And I said, okay, good. He and Brandon Stoddard, who was head of ABC, did not get along. Um, The fact that it was called Aaron's Broadcasting Company did not sit well with Mr. Stoddard and Dynasty was showing its rather creaky age after nine years. Um, But I I have a feeling everybody had a pretty good notion that it might happen. I don't think any of us was heartbroken. It would have been nice to continue um, with better writing. Writing is, I think, the first thing to... Fade, when along with a very long-running show, when you don't have a really sterling group of head writers, um, we had some very good ones, but I think the final arbiters, I suspect, were the Shapiro's, and who are the people who actually sold Dynasty to CW for that really appalling reboot, um, which I think is just horrific um and dishonest and uh if Aaron were alive I'd wonder what he would say but um I think that that again that we we weren't surprised put it that way
1: I see well, one unfortunate uh, you you're probably right that um, you know, perhaps Aaron and others thought that hey, we can possibly come back because that cliffhanger was set up as if the the show would return and including your character and and Joan going over the balcony in a very yes. dramatic moment in slow motion no less. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was a uh, very um upset that I wouldn't know the fate of Adam Carrington and, of course, Alexis, because the show had been canceled. But thankfully, there was that reunion that kind of cleared up some things. But it was very unfortunate that they couldn't have gone, okay, we're not coming back, so let's at least make it kind of in that approach. It would have been probably beneficial, but sometimes that happens on television, of course.
3: I have not enough experience... I suspect you do, and I don't, with that. Um, I, I i couldn't, I was not in the reunion because I was working. And That's right. I was, I was very, actually, I was pissed off, um, I thought, because I was doing Santa Barbara, and yes. I think I was the only one of us at the time that was working. Um, and I thought, well, couldn't you? And I, I couldn't shift... My Santa Barbara schedule, but mm. that, you, know, you can get a day off now and then. Um, and I thought you could have made an effort, possibly, to shift the man they cast. I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. Um, he they hired him. This is true because he fit the wardrobe, mm. which I found so insulting F- to me. First of all, fine but to the character and to the audience above all. Adam was an interesting man. And why, without any explanation, suddenly Adam has a new face, a different voice, a different quality. And I think one of my, the strengths I can actually rely on as an actor is that I am fairly interesting to watch regardless of what I'm doing. Whether I'm in the Frog Prince or Adam Carrington or Jesus in Godspell, I've done that too. The quality I have simply because of DNA is what makes me interesting. It's whatever makes anyone interesting. And what what makes me interesting is germane to the part, and very, very much germane to Adam Carrington. I thought it was very rude of them, to the audience above all, to do what they did.
1: Very unfortunate. Right. I remember Jack being disappointed eyes. when I heard that that you would not be a part of the reunion. I I remember asking myself, I, I, I don't even see how, you know, why even do it, is how I almost felt. Because you had done so much for the show, and, and you know, you, you know, you are... The man behind Adam Carrington, and no disrespect for the other gentleman, but uh, that was the one thing that was like bittersweet about that reunion was that you were not a part of it and mm-hmm. thank um, you i I really wish you w- in my heart though somehow you still were if that means anything thank now you. Santa. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. And Santa Barbara, I know you've talked about this wonderful writing, you, and now you go from Ryan's Hope, and now you have this big part on Santa Barbara. But I'm just wondering, Gordon, there there was a couple gentlemen that had portrayed the character, especially with Lane Davies, very yep. popular in the role. And then, of course, uh, Terry Lester, who had already a, a acquired a, a well-known following from The Young and the Restless as Jack Abbott, no less, mm-hmm. uh, an iconic character. So. When you take over a part that other people have portrayed of, of significance, did, did you find that daunting in any way, or was that not really an issue for you?
3: It wasn't an issue, simply because I had never watched the show. Um, I was sort of twiddling my thumbs, um, unemployed, and I probably, in retrospect, should have held out for another primetime series or something. Um, But I didn't, because I love to work, and I had not very good representation. Anyway, um, the executive producer, John, I've forgotten his last name, I'm sorry, of Santa Barbara, uh, called me in, we had a chat, offered me the job, and, oh, okay, fine, because uh, I knew just the bare-bones outline of the character. Um, I knew that Lane had played it. I'd never met Lane. Terry, I think I'd met once. Um, Lane played it for five, was it five years or three years? I don't remember how long he played it. And then Terry played it for, I think, two weeks. He was really put off by the amount of work they, the writers were asking him to do. And so he... I, okay, fine. I stepped in and off the high board I went. And because I, I've already said, I think I was in my physical prime, um, I learned lines very quickly. The writing was wonderful, easy to play, easy to absorb. I meditate, TM, which helped, it saw me through the entire run of almost three years. And again, I worked with some really, really, really good actors and directors. And writers, so it was a huge treat for me, and um, you you know, it's just I met some wonderful people doing that. And no, I'm sorry that I didn't make the Emmy list for um, Mason. I think I should have, to be frank, because I did a good job. It's I've always been proud. I think of everything I've ever done because of what my job means to me, and I have tried never ever to cheat, um, and with Mason, you couldn't, and it, again, he was passionate, he was very smart, he was very sexy, he was in love with Julia, he, was, he became a judge, it was, it was all these wonderful things going on, and uh, I worked again wonderfully gifted people, to look with. I was very lucky. Very lucky.
1: And I've often heard about the writing on Santa Barbara was uh, a very high quality. I I, yep. I just read so much of actors that have appeared on the show, or just fans or viewers, mention right. that a lot. Especially, are well, right. I character. mean,
3: I've done other soap operas. You mentioned Young and the Restless. Um, I did one in Canada called Family Passions for you on Winther in 94, I think, right after uh, Santa Barbara and um again the the writing isn't on any of them that i've done not of the standards that i met on santa barbara and i'm very pleased to say i learned from one of those writers about 5 6 months ago that they enjoyed writing for me because they realized how Well, I learned lines, so they threw all that material at me, knowing I would relish it, and I hope do them justice. That was an enormous compliment that I received from the writers of Santa Barbara.
1: That is a very high compliment. Yep. Most definitely. I was very happy for you. I remember, you know, when I first learned that you would be on Santa Barbara, I was, I was like, well, good for him. Um, I was very happy for you. Now, to fast forward when you did appear on The Young and the Restless, I, I am a viewer of The Young and the Restless since the late 80s, Gordon. Really? So you could, you can imagine. My enthusiasm and excitement when I read that Gordon Thompson would be appearing on The Young and the Restless, I had only wished that that you would you know that they would have kept your character in town um because um I was just so excited um I believe you played a lawyer if i if memory serves me correctly
3: yes I did, yes, i did
1: and I just thought wow they 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 should keep him you know <laughs> on the show and but I enjoyed I would have seeing enjoyed
3: that, him. I have to say. You know, oh, it's, it's wow. steady again. A pretty luxurious uh, setting. The Bells are a, a very, very potent family, and um, I worked with Laura Lee. Actually, we were opposing lawyers, and that's uh, right. Was
1: and, it, 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 that's um, right. It's a did, courtroom scene, I believe. Um, yeah, it
3: was. Yeah, that's right. And I, I remember I was probably killing myself doing this, but um, I, again, writing, writing. Um, she, because, her, you know, she was trying to prove to herself that she really was up to this. And they had cue cards. I've never used cue cards in my life. Um, and they had given both of us reams and reams of nothing but quotations from law books, which no l- lawyer would ever use in a courtroom. Because people fall asleep. Well, Laura Lee was trying like mad to stuff this into her head, and I said, I, "Laura Lee, I said, come on, let me let me tell you something." I said, "Forget all this stuff because it's nonsense." And The mics are open, and the booth was listening. Her father could have been listening. I don't know, but I'm telling her that the writing is nonsense. What she should do. Because it is nonsense, is to find out what her character intends to say at this point in this in the scene, and say that simply and directly, with all this heretofore crap that nobody would ever say in a courtroom. And I don't know if she did or not. I did it with my stuff. I absolutely rewrote because you have to. They ask you to do an daytime. Is the most demanding platform an actor will ever, ever, ever face, ever. And sadly, the platform is reduced now to four shows, and that's it. Um, but the demands it makes are enormous, and which is why I've never felt, "Oops, I mustn't tamper with the gold words of the, uh, that the writers." I didn't want to tamper at all on Santa Barbara. I didn't need to. I didn't want to. But when something as misplaced and phony as this this courtroom scene I'm talking about, you bet, I'll get up my little pencil and erase the whole damn thing and write what I'm going to say in the margins if anybody on the script wants to take it down. Because I'm not saying what's in the script today, everybody. And I was sufficiently arrogant to go ahead and do it And nobody ever complained, that I'm aware of anyway. But writing is everything. Everything.
1: It sure is. It's it's so, so vital. And you know, Gordon, I would love to get your opinion on the state of primetime television in particular today. And sure, uh, look, this is 2019. I get this. There's the internet and there's cell phones and a lot of all these modern conveniences. But... What about classic storytelling? Why do you think that, you know, so many powers-to-be, producers or even writers for that uh, matter, why aren't they able to come up with a show that takes the kind of approach that Dynasty took, at least from a classic uh, storytelling? classic storytelling standpoint. In other words, you know, character-driven, and, and people want to know what happens next week. And it seems like uh, we've gotten away from that uh, for many years now.
3: I agree. I confess I don't watch television much. I have not done for a long time. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I gather some stuff is brilliant. I remember watching two episodes of breaking bad and i thought everything about it was absolutely brilliant the writing photography performances were wonderful direction was all first class but it was immensely depressing and i don't want, i don't want to yes. tune in and watch you know the 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 career of a, a drug dealer frankly i just that doesn't interest me i don't have a tabloid bone in my body, um, sadly, which puts a lot of stuff beyond my ken anyway. Um, so I can't answer your question properly, Stephen, because I don't watch enough. I do, I'm do. i aware yes. of the fact that um, this, as you call it, traditional classical storytelling um, is missing, from what I can see, from what I hear, from my friends who do watch a lot of television. Uh, this goes for movies as well. Um, this I, I've finally watched a bunch of movies this year, and some, there are some wonderful films out, but my God, there's a lot of crap. And I think reality TV, and you'll forgive the expression, the Kardashian syndrome, has an awful lot to do with that. I uh, think these... these uh, I don't want to watch anybody live their lives. Most lives, if they are filmed, are dishonest because people are aware of the camera being there. So it's not reality TV. It's fake reality, if you like, fake reality TV. It's, it's But it's killed. It's comparatively inexpensive. It's killed, and oh, I've killed, daytime. Daytime, when it... Not just actors, good God. Crews, writers, makeup artists, directors, producers, cameramen, you name it. Huge numbers of people will pull out of work because they're expensive to produce. Well, reality TV is not nearly as expensive to produce. But then you have the Kardashian syndrome, which, oh, forgive me. Uh, I don't want to see your tits. I really don't. doesn't interest me. And the whole family bores the shit out of me. Um, What little I'm aware of, I see in the newspaper. Uh, It just appalls me. The power of that kind of crap. It's the kind of crap that allows casting people. I'm back to the beginning again. You can be cast in a show based on your social media numbers. That sickens me. It's the Kardashian syndrome. Nauseating.
1: That's very unfortunate.
3: Yeah, very. And I wish, oh God, I wish somebody would be listening to you, somebody with, with, with clout and maybe some balls and say, oh, Stephen has a really good idea. Let's do something with traditional storytelling and see how that goes. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. I doubt it. But um, Dynasty wouldn't work today. Wouldn't work today. Because too many people have too many opinions.
1: Well, Gordon, thank you for sharing your, your feelings and thoughts and, and opinions and memories with me today. Uh, I'm just uh, so grateful to you uh, to uh, listen to, to all that you had to say today and to visit Hollywood and beyond. So I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart.
3: Thank you. I had a very good time, Stephen. Thank you for bringing back an awful lot of mostly very, very nice and very positive times in my life. Thank you.
1: Well, you are most welcome, and um, I want to wish you all the best. And um, uh, it has just been a, a true honor and pleasure.
3: Thank you for me, for me too, sir.
1: And I want to thank all the listeners out there. Thank you so much for listening to my in- uh, interview with Gordon Thompson today and sharing his memories with all of you. Uh, truly, truly, one of my highest honors. I just love a skilled and committed and and dedicated actor, and and when I think of one, I think of Gordon. He certainly has had a quite an impact on me as an artistic person myself. Well, this is host Stephen Brittingham. I'll catch you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you. Hi friends and listeners, this is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail dot com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.